Hi, I'm Ebony Monet. And I'm Rick Schwartz. Welcome to Amazing Wildlife, where we explore the unique stories of wildlife from around the world and uncover fascinating animal facts. This podcast is a production of iHeartRadio and San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance, an international nonprofit conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and Safari Park. People can visit African savanna elephants and Asian elephants at the San Diego Zoo and San Diego Zoo Safari Park. But today we're talking about the third species of elephants, the African forest elephant, which like its name suggests, is found in the forests of Africa. More specifically, they inhabit rainforest in the Congo Basin in Western Africa. In this installment of Amazing Wildlife, we're going to find out how elephants have adapted to life in the forest and talk about community efforts to protect elephants of the Ebel Forest. We will also be speaking with Ekwoge Abwe, manager of the Ebel Forest Research Project in Cameroon. Rick, I must admit that these three species of elephants all look pretty much the same to me. What makes an African savanna African forest and Asian elephant so different. Well, yes, Ebony, I agree. I mean, I think perhaps at first glance, an elephant looks like an elephant. They're big, grayish colored animals with long trunks, right? But when you take a moment or two to really compare the three different species, well, you kind of start to see the differences. For example, and I have to say there is a ton of information about how they're different, but we're just going to get to some of it. I'll unpack the trunk of information, if you will. For example, if you look at the ears of the African elephant versus the ears of the Asian elephant, you can see a remarkable difference. Both the African savanna and African forest elephant's ears are much larger, and the shape of the ear kind of resembles the continent of Africa. And some people will remark that the Asian elephant's ears, well, they have a similar shape to Southern Asia, more specifically the country of India, an area where they inhabit. Another way to distinguish the difference is to look at their backs. So the Asian elephant's back makes more of an arch from shoulders to hips, where the African elephant's back is kind of concave or, or curves down a little bit in the middle. And now that we've discussed the difference between the African elephant and the Asian elephant, let's break it down a little bit further. What's the difference between the African forest elephant and the African savanna elephant? The main differences that we see between these two are as follows. The African forest elephant is smaller in height and weight, and they have straighter and usually a little bit smaller tusks. And although they both have ears that are shaped similar to the continent of Africa, the ears for the forest elephant are considered to be a little bit smaller and a little more rounder on the edges, if you will, than the savanna elephant. It's kind of hard to distinguish unless you see them next to each other or pictures at least of them next to each other. So how far back can scientists trace this species split? How long have we known that there were three different types of elephants? Yeah, I think that's a really good question because I can say even when I was in college studying animals, there were two distinct species of elephants. We had Asian and African. So the official identification of the African forest elephant being a separate species from the African savanna elephant is fairly recent. And we'll get to that in a minute. But first, let's look at the history of elephants and mammoths. The modern elephant of today and the woolly mammoths that went extinct share a common ancestor. So it's understood that the ancestral line split into separate species about 6 million years ago. Current science shows us that at that time, African elephants branched off first from that common ancestor, away from the woolly mammoth, to become its own species. Then, about 440,000 years later, which is quite a bit of time, 
the Asian elephant branched off from the woolly mammoth, becoming its own species. Now, when it comes to the two different African elephants, a group of scientists recently looked at the genetic ancestry by sequencing the nuclear genomes of both types of African elephants, as well as the Asian elephant. Essentially, what that means is they're looking at the historical building blocks of these species. So by comparing all of these genomes or building blocks, the team found that the African forest elephant and the African savanna elephant diverged into two separate species between 2.6 and 5.6 million years ago. All of your references to the woolly mammoth just remind me of how much I loved learning about the woolly mammoth when I was growing up. It was hard then and even now to imagine just how different the world was when they existed. Oh, I know, right? But back to modern-day elephants, back to the forest elephant. Since they're forest dwellers and elusive, it's not surprising that we don't know as much about them as the savanna elephants and that it took so long to classify them as separate species. So let's uncover some other interesting facts that make them so fascinating to study. Elephants are the largest land mammals, but African forest elephants, as you mentioned, are smaller than their counterparts in the savanna. How would you describe, like if you had to kind of give us a visual, how would you describe their size? Well, Ebony, when we look at the numbers of how they measure up, the African savanna elephants are bigger than the African forest elephants. So, for example, male African savanna elephants can grow up to, and sometimes a little over, nine feet in height at the shoulder, and weigh easily up to 17,000 pounds, about the weight of a mid-sized car. Whereas the, the male African forest elephants are usually coming in no more than eight feet in height at the shoulder, and their weight is a lot smaller, some of them only reaching 6,000 pounds, but some of them up to 12,000 pounds. And interestingly enough, here are a few other subtle differences between the two. For example, the savanna elephant's tusks are curved and tend to grow out at a slight angle away from the midline of the elephant, whereas the forest elephants have tusks that are shorter, straighter, and kind of point downward. And get this, African savanna elephants have four nails on their front feet and three nails on their back feet. So remember that, four and three for the savanna. But the African forest elephant has five nails on the front feet and four nails on the back feet. And that might seem like a minor detail, but when it comes to taxonomy, the study of the physical structure of animals, that is actually a very interesting fact. And Rick, people working to save animals from extinction often refer to the problem of rapid deforestation. Not to oversimplify conservation concerns, but I'd imagine that issue is particularly a problem for any species that inhabits the forest. Yes, I think that's a fair assessment, Ebony. Unfortunately, many forest habitats across the world are facing some challenging times. The biggest challenges that the African forest elephants are up against are sort of a combination of poaching for their ivory and habitat loss. Being poached for ivory has caused a drop in the population by 60% across a nine-year period in the early 2000s. In that same window of time, they also lost about 30% of their range due to habitat loss. The habitat loss is caused by a combination of forest habitat being cleared for agricultural use, livestock farming, and human infrastructure use. The combination of these and other events have created a situation where the African forest elephant is listed as a critically endangered species. Which is so unfortunate. Other than the habitat, does the African elephant have any differences? Do they behave differently than the savanna elephant? 
Well, I think what's really interesting about this question, Ebony, is that it helps us discover that animals can be very similar in many ways, but when they live in different environments, they sometimes behave differently. And a challenge with the forest elephant is that it is so elusive. Scientists are just beginning to understand their behavior. Because they live in different environments, savanna and forest elephants interact with their environment differently. The African forest elephants tend to eat more fruit and leafy materials, whereas the African savanna elephants tend to graze on different grasses and plants that grow abundantly in the rainy season. And interestingly enough, forest elephants also crave salt, so they'll visit mineral-dense areas and sometimes even eat soil, which provides them with those minerals they're missing from their diet. Interesting. I, I have something in common with the um, forest elephant. I too crave salt. <laughs> <laughs> salt craving is strong with many of us. <laughs> so what about family dynamics? We talked about the African savanna elephant in episode one. Can you believe, Rick, we are already right now recording episode 20? I know, Ebony. It's pretty amazing to already be this far into our Amazing Wildlife podcast, and we have so much more to cover, too. But that's a good point. If anyone wants to know more about elephants, go back to episode one if you haven't heard it yet. But yes, let's jump back into this. Uh, let's talk about family dynamics. So when it comes to families or herds, African forest elephants live in smaller social groups of two to six individuals. Compare that to the larger herds of the African savanna elephants, which can average four to 18 individuals. And when we look at the bull, or male elephants, we tend to see some differences there too. The males of the African savanna elephant will come together in loose bachelor herds. But interestingly enough, the male African forest elephants tend to be solitary. Loners, interesting. So remind us of the impact of this social dynamic. How do female-led herds, um, how does that impact the species? Well, yes, Ebony, elephant herds are indeed led by a dominant female. This is known as a matriarchal social structure, and a matriarch is usually, but not always, the oldest and largest female in the herd. The matriarch really is the foundation of her family. She is responsible for making the decisions for when the herd should move on to the next food source or go to the next watering hole or river. She leads the other females that are usually her daughters and their offspring with the primary goal of protecting and raising their calves. The matriarch also maintains relationships with other herds, sometimes called bond groups. These bond groups will feed together and mingle at watering holes, but maintain being separate herds. And possibly one of the biggest responsibilities of the matriarch is to pass her knowledge down to the next generation of elephants that will eventually take over when she becomes too weak to lead or if she passes away. The sad reality, the circle of life. So you mentioned that unfortunately African forest elephants are critically endangered in nature. Can you expand on that? Yes, unfortunately, Ebony, African forest elephants have had a really rough go of things, and they now only inhabit 25% of their historical range. The International Union for Conservation of Nature, also known as IUCN, lists the African forest elephant as critically endangered with a population that is currently declining on their red list of threatened species. So let's talk about some of the challenges. You mentioned that there have been several challenges, including habitat loss and poaching for their ivory. These are similar challenges for the, the Asian and African savanna elephants, but they're categorized as endangered on the same red list that you just referenced. Do we know why the African forest elephants are so critically endangered? 
You really bring up a good point there. The combination of poaching for their ivory and habitat loss has caused a dramatic loss in population in all species of elephant. Now, studies reveal that the African forest elephant had a smaller population before the increased demand for ivory pushed poaching to an all-time high by 2011. Thus, as the population across all three species of elephant dropped, it really pushed the African forest elephant into a critically low population. It is worth noting, though, that many conservation efforts are helping to save these magnificent animals. The International Union for Conservation of Nature cites anti-poaching units on the ground for making a difference in lower numbers of elephants lost to poaching. And there are several studies in place that are trying to find solutions to land use requirements by humans and elephants with the hopes that we can find a balance that we all can live with. So it sounds like there's a silver lining there. There's some good news and some positive changes, but it's heartbreaking to find out that the all-time poaching high was just in 2011. I would have thought that it would have been longer ago. Yeah, it does seem like something that is is rather, I don't want to say archaic, but it just seems so foreign to many of us. But unfortunately, there was a very strong demand for ivory around the world. It's not just one particular culture or location. And so I think it does show us, though, that things are trending in the right direction, that the all-time high was over 10 years ago. So it's nice to see that a lot of the efforts that were put into place 10 years ago are having an impact in lowering the numbers of elephants being poached. We're going to check with the manager of the Cameroonian Ebo Forest Research Project, Ikwoge Abwe, about African forest elephants and San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance's efforts to protect them. But first, this. Now it's time for the San Diego Zoo Minute, an opportunity for you to learn what's new at the zoo. And how appropriate on this episode that we get to celebrate an elephant milestone at the San Diego Zoo. Our female Asian elephant, Devi, just turned 45 years old. Devi lives at Elephant Odyssey at the San Diego Zoo and receives excellent daily care that includes treatments specially designed for geriatric individuals. That part of the special care that older elephants at the San Diego Zoo receive is physical therapy. Devi has learned to move each of her feet forward and backward, one at a time, to help her with flexibility and mobility, as well as to help her build strength and stamina. We focus on duration. We want Devi to hold her foot in position for three to 10 seconds. And we also look at the height she is able to raise her feet. Devi receives these exercise sessions three to four times a week. Today we're talking about the African forest elephant, and we're going to bring in a San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance scientist, Ikwoge Abwe. He's the manager of the Ebo Forest Research Project and the co-leader of the African Forest Hub. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for having me. So what is life like for the the African forest elephant in, in nature? I would say... Difficult, challenging, and stressful. And I say so because the habitat of forest elephants is dissected, is shrinking, and all this is linked to human activities. 
And even more important is the fact that the elephants are hunted for their tusk ivory, as you know. So this makes life really difficult for forest elephants. So what is it like for you seeing a, a forest elephant in, in nature? That's a great question. You know, um, you would imagine given the huge size of, you know, an elephant, even a forest elephant, that it would be so easy to spot this in a rainforest or anywhere. But, you know, the nature of the forest is such that the elephants and, you know, every single species in there can actually blend so much with nature. So it's, you know, sometimes really, really difficult to see even a huge elephant and even when you get so close to it, sometimes you can't see it because of this, you know, great blend with nature. But, you know, when you get a rare opportunity to, to see them, which I'll say uh, is often rare because of, you know, this blend I talk about is always, always exciting. But we should not just sit back and say, oh, you know, it would be great to see forest elephants because linked to the threats we have, hunting, you know, habitat destruction, these elephants are always, always stressed out and they have great memories. They know, you know, X, Y was killed, you know, by humans. And as a result, you know, they have that phobia for humans. So um, it's exciting to see them, but it could also be dangerous to encounter a forest elephant in this context, of course. And can you tell me, what is the Ebo Forest Research Project? So the Ebo Forest Research Project is a Cameroonian registered NGO, which we started in 2005, um, though it was legalized by the government of Cameroon in 2013. And the idea was just, you know, for this project is to coordinate biodiversity research and conservation outreach in and around the Ebo Forest. So that, in summary, is, you know, the Ebo Forest Research Project, a local NGO focusing its work on the Ebo Forest. But actually now we're actually expanding out of the Ebo Forest because we work in other parts of the country as well. And, you know, the habitats we work in are those that are actually rich in uh, great apes, elephants, you know, these large mammals. So, yeah, our work is expanding, you know, not just limited to the Ebo Forest. So what techniques are, are being used? What's actually being done in, um, in this project? So um, in terms of research techniques, initially we had a network of transects and trails to the north and western part of uh, the forest. And these were monitored on a daily basis. We're collecting data on mammal species uh, and threats, you know, to, to these. Then in 2008, we initiated forest-wide surveys. Since initially we were concentrated just in the north and west of the forest, we had these forest-wide surveys. And the idea was to have, you know, a picture of what is happening across the forest. So we had 400 kilometers of trails that were walked over a period of about five months. And along these trails, we recorded all indices of large mammals and uh, human threats to biodiversity. And one cool thing is that we just finished the surveys for 2021, 2022. So the team is coming back today and we're really happy. So in addition to um, these two techniques above, we also use uh, trail cameras, especially in the gorilla habitats. And elephants happen to be one of the species that we regularly have featured on our videos and pictures from the trail cameras. So what partnerships make this work possible? 
So the Able Forest Research Project has been on since 2005 when we opened our first research station in the forest. And this was thanks to the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance, whom, as I said earlier, had their postdoc research fellow, Dr. Ethan Morgan, in the forest. And so from that inception to date, we've had continuous support technical support, financial support, material support, you know, capacity building, just everything from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. And in addition to that, we've also enjoyed, you know, support from a broad range of other partners, including the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, Aquas Foundation, Whitley Fund for Nature, Margot Marsh Biodiversity Foundation, IUCN, the French IUCN Small Scale Initiative, Mohamed Ben Zaid. So all these, you know, donors have actually partnered with us, you know, just to make sure everything we're doing in the forest, you know, is for the good of the local communities, the forest and the environment. Um, in addition to that, we work with the local communities and our work is possible because we have, you know, this grassroots support. But we also work, of course, with the government of Cameroon, who are the custodians of, you know, the forests and, you know, wildlife and also other civil society organizations. So, yeah, we have great partnerships and uh, that is actually what has kept this forest from even the logging threats that we had recently. And with the Apple Forest Research Project working to improve the coexistence of people and wildlife, What's been the response from people in the community? As I said before, we have more than 40 communities around the forest, um, several administrative units. And, you know, all of these people uh, in many ways are linked to the forest in one way or the other. There used to be communities that used to live inside the forest. So uh, they have this ancestral and cultural attachment to the forest. Uh, the forest is a source of livelihood, you know, for all of these communities. And so what we've been driving through, you know, working with these communities is, you know, having a healthy human community is linked with having a healthy wildlife population as well as a healthy environment. And so we have community-based civil society organizations we are working with, like the traditional uh, chiefs of Able Forest, we have gorilla guardian clubs and chimpanzee guardian clubs. And so we work with these grassroots communities to promote that healthy coexistence between the wildlife and the local communities. Then we do a lot of sensitization both within the communities and even outside the communities just to show how important the forest is for the livelihoods of these local communities, their history, their cultures, you know, and, you know, the ecosystem services that the forest provides. We also engage in sustainable alternative livelihood projects in these communities just to reduce the reliance of the local communities on the forest resources and so they can have, you know, healthy forests and still live well. And one thing we've been doing lately is actually building the capacity of these communities on land tenure issues. Um, because recently the government decided to create logging concessions in Able and they were like, no, you can't just take our land. This is our customary land. This is our ancestral land. And so we're educating them on their rights in terms of land and you know, land use options. So these are all things we, we're doing to get that sort of 
coexistence between the local communities and wildlife. So Ikoge, how can data from elephants at the San Diego Zoo um, and San Diego Zoo Safari Park help scientists working to conserve elephants in, in nature and like in Cameroon? Yeah, this is a great question. And I, I think that there's a lot, you know, that elephants in the wild, in nature, and elephants under human care, you know, can share all together. Unlike chimpanzees and gorillas, great apes, for instance, that may be easy to habituate under certain conditions, of course, um, there should be no hunting. You know, if you habituate, you know, great apes, you can actually follow them and understand exactly what they are eating, you know, what they do uh, to solve problems, how they sleep, you know, where they eat, how their, their range and all of that. This is really, really difficult for elephants and uh, especially in rainforest setting where you can't even see them five meters away from you. So certain behaviors are really, really impossible to, to observe. But this zoo setting or safari park where uh, we have this uh, care provided for elephants, you know, is easier to uh, investigate certain behaviors at close range, you know, uh, from reproduction to feeding, growth and all of that. So this data and information that is generated here can actually help scientists that are working in, you know, a wild setting to make predictions and even assumptions about wild settings. We've been talking to Ikwoge Awe, the manager of the Ebel Forest Research Project in Cameroon and a San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance scientist. Thank you so much, Ikwoge. Thank you so much, Ebony. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. We hope you learned a lot about African forest elephants. Be sure to subscribe and tune into next week's episode in which we bring you the story of how our veterinarians sometimes have to work with doctors who work with people to work with our animals. I'm Ebony Monet. And I'm Rick Schwartz. Thanks for listening. If you would like to find out more about San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance, please visit sdzwa.org. Amazing Wildlife is a production of iHeartRadio. Our producer is Nakia Swinton, and our executive producer is Marcy Depina. Our sound engineer and editor is Amita Ganatra. For more shows from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.